Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Welcome, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. You know, we're celebrating March as Women's History Month. And this year, the theme is Women Providing Healing and Promoting Hope. Last month, we celebrated Black History Month, and the theme for Black History Month, the month of February, was Black Health and Wellness. And today, we have a black woman on our show today who has been inducted into the Cooperative Hall of Fame in 2009. She worked 40 years for the Federation of Cooperatives and the Mississippi Cooperative Development, creating co-ops. So good morning, Ms. Melba McAfee-Smith. Good morning. Good morning, Vernon. How are you this morning? I am great. And how are you doing? I'm doing great this morning. I'm blessed. Hallelujah. Okay. So this morning I want to talk a little bit about the history, a little bit about today, and spend some time talking about the future. So you grew up in Mississippi, is that correct? Yes, that's correct, in a rural area to be exact. (laughs) Rural Mississippi. Yes. And I see you live on a street named McAfee, Peter McAfee Drive. What what is that about? Who who is Peter McAfee? Well, Peter McAfee is my grandfather, and many years ago, uh, he purchased the land that I now live on, the property that I live on. So, pretty much on this road, it's a dead end road. We don't call it a dead end road; we call it road end. The road ends, but it's not dead. <laughs> so, okay. uh, we live on that road, and most of the property on the east side of the road belonged to him and so we thought it was fitting of course in my family we thought it was and so most of my family lived on that side of the road the east side of the road and we thought it was fitting when we had a chance to name our road because there was a route when we were growing up route one route one and then we had to walk from my house to the main road in order to get our mail so when the opportunity came for us to uh, name the street, we thought it was fitting to name it after him. And so everybody agreed, and the name was changed. So, so how does it feel, talking about history, how does it feel living on a road named after your great your grandfather? Well, it, it feels like history, <laughs> I guess, to mm-hmm. say that. I knew him briefly. I was probably seven or eight years old when he passed away. But it it feels like part of the legacy of our family. And so that is, uh, as I grow older, that is something that I'm uh, very conscious of and want to provide to uh, my grandchildren and uh, my son, of course, and, and his two children 
as well as other members of our family. So it, it's a it's it's part of history, and I love it. <laughs> so you just talked about past your grandfather, and all the way to future your grandchildren. Okay, <laughs> and he purchased yeah. land. Um, and how much did he purchase? How much land did he buy? Had a hundred and twenty acres. 120 acres, and my father purchased 40 acres from his dad, and that's the property that I actually live on. My brother and I share that, or his family and, and my family share that 40 acres. Pretty much it's 48 now. I think we acquired another eight acres, and um, so we live there. But it's um, it's a great opportunity, and... Not only that, Vernon, but it's something that we can build off of. He gave us a start, that we didn't have to start from the beginning, even though my brother and I added to that in other areas. We purchased some other land, and not right adjacent to this portion, but we did that. And, and we saw the benefit of owning land. And, and then also, in addition to owning it, to prosper, to use it to prosper. And so we've engaged now in um, my, my son and I are, are putting forth uh, uh, blueberries and mustardine for two. Blueberries and mustardine? Muscadines, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the wine part of it. <laughs> So that makes wine? wine of it. Yes, make wine out of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think I'll come down and visit y'all then. Yeah, yeah, that'll be good. <laughs> that'll be great. But it's, it's, a, it's, it's a generational type thing, um, Vernon, because my father grew fruit trees, planted fruit trees, and had all types of fruit growing. And then he had a, um, a meal where he uh, took sugar cane, and the juice from the sugar cane and made syrup. And other people in the community that was growing sugar cane also brought their uh, products over to his meal, and he made syrup for them too. So it's a, it's sort of a, a legacy being passed on, I think. And certainly I've had some portion in passing it on to my son, who's very interested in doing uh, blueberries and muscadines. So your father uh, had fruit trees, and he was an entrepreneur. He had his own sugar mill. So he had a no, business. That, yes, that was my grandfather. So Oh, grandfather. Uh, my grandfather, yes, who started this whole thing. <laughs> your grandfather had the sugar mill. So about what yeah. years are we talking now for your grandfather? My grandfather, as I said, it passed away when I was about eight, so... That's about uh, 52, 54, somewhere along, 53, and, and he passed away. So I was eight years old at that time. And now, not going to share my age, but mm, it's in retirement ages. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so approximately what year was your grandfather born? Oh, it was in the... Um, mm, 18-something. 18, 18 I don't know exactly the year, but yes. Mm -hmm. So about the turn of the century, uh, if he was born 18-something, something something in 2010, 2015, somewhere in there, he bought some land. 
uh, could have been 2030 even. And he, yeah. I mean, 1930. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, somewhere somewhere that, because it's my understanding and just looking back over some of the history of it, that he uh, moved out of the Delta portion of Mississippi into this area where we live, because he was there. And I'm not sure exactly from there, but we're doing an ancestral research on him and even further back. We have some things written on him, but not a whole lot. Was he born in slavery or his parents? His parents, right. Okay. Not him particularly. Mm-hmm. All right. So 120 acres in about 1910, I think, uh, they said that blacks own about 15 million acres of land, and today is about a, or 1992 is about 1.5 million. We've lost, we only have about 10% of the land we had in 1910. Mm, yeah, right. yeah, and that, mm-hmm, yeah, that's that's a uh, has been a a great concern in in throughout my uh, career. You know, in order to work with people in terms of uh, a lot of uh, most people during that time didn't have any kind of will or any kind of legal document where they actually you know, passed on their land and and how it would be, whatever their thoughts were in terms of the utilization of it, which I've done for my my son, too. So in that, you know, we we are not in the process of losing land. We're in the process of making it productive and to be able to create additional income and educational opportunities for our family members going forward. So that's that's what we're interested in now. So yes, uh, in the work that I did for years, we uh, assisted families and farmers and and pretty much farmers and those families in the rural area to have a legal document and um, not lose the land to pay taxes and go through all that uh, those those things that are necessary, but to take heed of it. That's the key. I think some of us and in, in some of our family members are, uh, you know, because of the hardship and things that they experienced growing up, are trying to get away, get away, but never passed on those documents and, and um, titles and things to family members. And mem- some family members moved away to other states in order to uh, what, what we use, the term that we used when I was growing up, to have a better life to have better opportunities uh, living in Mississippi and wanting to get to other towns and, and states that were, some we thought, somewhat more progressive and moved away and paid very little attention to the, our ancestors and, and the ownership that they had and how important that was, um, not to just work in a factory, or to have income, but but to own something. And that's what has been prominent in my uh, experience in growing up, is that my family actually owned something that they could pass on to the next generation. And um, uh, that has um, has has taken hold in me, Vernon. <laughs> and okay. I really want to go forward with it in terms of my son and my grandchildren and uh, the future generation, and even with my brother, he has a daughter, and she doesn't live here, but she has three children as well, and so she wants them to uh, catch hold to 
to this and uh, our family heritage and owning owning land and making it productive, not just owning it, but making it productive. The other point I make, I think I kind of passed over that is people not knowing about taxes and paying their taxes and making sure those taxes. And you'll see that in a lot of the newspapers and around here where people are losing their land because of uh, failure to pay taxes. And it's a tax sale that's held. Mm-hmm. And you can get that for, get those acreage for a little, little just for the taxes that's owed on it. Not the value of the property, but the taxes that's owed on it. So we encourage families to um, have a legal document when it's our time to go home to be with the Lord that we we put down our wishes and our desires for the next generation to to know about and to continue. And so that's important to me. I'm not sure if that's important to a lot. I think it is important to a lot of other other people that uh, that I know and have been around and just in general too. Okay. And it's also wait, wait, before you before you move forward, we we got to take our first break. And I just okay. want to, I, I, I really got that most, everybody, whether you live in rural communities, own acreage or not, you need a last will and testament. You yeah. need to create that legal document so that people know what your wishes are and pay your taxes. That's yeah. one way that we lose things. And we'll, we'll be right back and we'll talk more about the past and eventually we're going to get into talking about the future. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. And we have Melba McAfee-Smith on with us today. Melba has retired from the Federation of Southern Co-ops. She had worked there for approximately 40 years, uh, creating co-ops, going around creating co-ops. She was inducted to the Cooperative Hall of Fame in 2009. And today we are talking about uh, and get more into the subject of how women have used cooperatives to provide healing and promote hope. So, Melba, I, what I I got from you in that first segment is uh, your grandfather had 120 acres. Your your father bought 40 acres from him, passed that on to his two kids, you and your brother. You have one son, and your brother has one daughter. Your son has two children, and your daughter and your niece has three children and so it's like how you do this legacy of going from your grandfather to your grandchildren so before we talk specifically about your grandchildren and what you're doing i'd like to talk a little bit about your career so how did you get to the federation of southern co-ops well oddly enough (laughs) after graduating from undergrad school uh, here in mississippi and uh, having worked also with a Head Start program, which is federally funded, you know, in our community. And mm-hmm. it was in the office, main office was in Jackson, and we had Head Start centers out here working with families and children in, in preparation for going to public school, right? And so, so I began working with that. But at that time, a lot of people were uh, going to Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. 
And so I said, okay, yeah, I'll move there. (laughs) I'll see what opportunities are there. And in the meantime, I was talking with a person that I knew, uh, some of the people that had worked on the civil rights movement, and I had gone to a workshop with, with some of those that were doing things, and they mentioned about the Federation of Southern Cooperatives that it had uh, an office in Atlanta, and that may be an opportunity, too, for me. So in the meantime, I did apply. I, I found about it and and um, found out that they had an office in Epps, uh, Alabama, well, that wasn't Atlanta, of course. Mm-hmm. Alabama, Alabama was a little bit more rural than where I lived. But anyway, I got I had an opportunity to interview and to talk about, you know, what my desires were and also um, and what my background was. And it was in business administration and, you know, and, and the things that I had done uh, in working in the community here you know, in Mississippi, so had worked at that Head Start Center and worked with people. So that, that uh, and so I was able to, uh, uh, they gave me an opportunity to come and work with them in Epps, Alabama. So instead of Atlanta, it was just like almost at home, but a little bit more rural than what I was used to. And so you stayed there for, well, you, you left Epps and eventually went, to, went back to home, went to Mississippi at least. Yes. Yes, yes. My father passed away. Yeah, my father passed away. And then uh, my mother was living by herself. So I thought that I would, you know, come home. And at that time, my brother either lived in Alabama with his family or in North Carolina. Not sure what state that he Mm. was in at that time. And so it was uh, me being single at that time. You know, it was probably something that um, (laughs) they expected of me. (laughs) <laughs> to come home and be with my mother. So uh, the Federation then mentioned that they had an office that they wanted to um, to reopen uh, there here in Jackson and in the state of Mississippi. We had cooperatives that were members of the Federation from from Mississippi and that I could work with that. And I think that was, that was really good. Uh, it, I really appreciate the opportunity to continue to have employment rather than having to look for employment because they had uh, one at the office here, which is called the Mississippi Association of Cooperatives, to reopen and to become more active with the members that they had, the co-op members that they had in the state. So I, I was pleased with that. And so were you the the person in charge at Mississippi Association of Cooperatives? Yes, uh-huh. I was state coordinator. That's the title that they had for the person there. So, yes, I did work for the pretty much the, the remainder. But then the Mississippi Association of Cooperatives had the opportunity to uh, work with the Coalition for Prosperous Mississippi. And, and so I kind of eased on into that and uh, moved over and uh, began to work with that. These were groups that were... Uh, working to build assets uh, with with uh, other community-based groups, and it's called a Coalition for a Prosperous Mississippi. Okay, and so there's a group in Jackson, Mississippi. I think it's is it called Jackson Rising, uh, the creating cooperatives. Not quite familiar with Jackson Rising. Yeah, I'm not sure what that name is, but 
I noticed that Brandon is only about uh, what you about eighteen miles from Jackson. You're very close uh-huh. to your home. Well, since, since Brandon has expanded, it's probably closer than that. But it's okay. about ten. I'd say about ten miles in terms of that. But yeah, it's not it's not far at all. And and when I was growing up, Vernon, that that was the place we we rarely uh, visited the stores in Brandon because my father worked in Jackson. And and so we we just kind of catered to Jackson, so it, was, it didn't seem far away once you traveled a lot of times. And my grandfather also um, sold his vegetables in Jackson. And during that time, you would like go up and down the street marketing your crops, right? So mm-hmm. he had fruits, as we talked about earlier. So he would uh, travel in his wagon. A half the way to Jackson and, and spend the night and then get up early the next morning and uh, go into Jackson and walk up and down the street, which we call peddling, right? His crop, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever he had, uh, apples for sale or pears for sale or pecans for sale, whatever he was growing, and he would sell those and then return home the next day. So Jackson has been accustomed to us to go from where we live to Jackson rather than to Brandon because Brandon was real small and didn't have a whole lot of opportunities, stores, things to choose from that Jackson had. So, And then by my father working there, it was pretty easy to go with him and come back. So it sounds like you all had to have a job. You were farming, but you had to have a job also. Your father had a job. It sounds like your grandfather did not have an employment outside of the farm. And he had to grow the the fruits and vegetables and sell them. And, he, and and it was not a farmer's market where you could go to one place and set up and people would come to you and buy. So it was peddling uh, where you go up and down the street and apples for sale or water billing for sale, whatever you're selling, yeah, you got to get people yeah. to buy. And, and so and people it, in wow. this, and yeah, that was something that people in this area did. Not only he... But there were other people, you know, that were going, and sometimes it may be two or three groups, two or three families going together. You know what I'm saying? And so they mm-hmm. would go, go to what we call it to town <laughs> and uh, go to town and, and sell those vegetables. Those, uh, uh, and we would stay up half the night, uh, you know, getting ready for, for him to go. Uh, you know, whether we were, had peas or whether they had okra or, uh, watermelons or uh, peaches or whatever he had, you know, we would prepare that. And if we had to shell the butter beans, shell the peas, and, um, and uh, you know, get them ready for him to, to take. And, and then, of course, you know, I was smaller, eight years old, I think, when he died. But it was always something to do uh, to help out. And my mother would be doing that and and uh, because at that time, my father, uh, father's, my grandfather's wife had passed away, so it was just him. But early on, you know, he had, <laughs> I think, eight or nine kids or something, my dad, brothers and sisters. and But they were all kind of grown when I came along, and uh, maybe one was still there. But, yeah, that was, some, that was a way of life. Sure it was, and it was a... It was a wonderful way of life. Now that I look back over it, of course, we as kids didn't think so because mm-hmm. we had to shell the peas and the butter beans and had to work and do this and do that. Oh, yeah, the word work was something that we learned right away. 
Yeah, working on a farm, you had to learn how to work. You had a work ethic, that's for sure. So yeah, grandfather, the other thing that I found very interesting is he would leave, go somewhere, spend the night, and get up the next morning and then finish the trip because he's on, he's on a wagon. Okay. Yeah, he, he was on a wagon, and so they, you know, whatever they had a covered wagon or whatever they had, but they would stay somewhere, park somewhere, and you know, it's not as not it was not as dangerous in one sense of the word Got as it. it is now. So they but would what? maybe leave middle of the day or late in the afternoon and go half the way, and then the next morning get up real early and go to the remainder, and then leave maybe around noon to come back and be home before night. So I'm I'm going to uh, we're going to take our second break and come back and talk a little bit more about your career and then uh, how co-ops have been uh, playing in your life. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Your news talk. Welcome back, everybody. Program is. Everything Cooperative. Melvin McAfee Smith is our guest today. And speaking of history, I just want to bring up real quickly Fannie Lou Hamer. She's also from Mississippi, and she was born in 1917 and uh, made a speech in 1964 at the uh, Democratic National Convention. And she said she viewed co-ops as the foundation of political power, political power, economic power, and she also believed in cooperation. They had a, a Freedom Farm Cooperative in 1967, had 40 acres, and it, at its height, they had 700 acres. So uh, because she's from Mississippi, did you know her, or was she one of your mentors, or did you model your life at all after the work that she did? Fannie Lou Hamer, but, of course, I didn't know her personally, but we knew about her and her work. And, um, you know, the, the things with the, with the uh, Freedom Farm and those things like that. But it was not until I went away with the Federation of Southern Cooperatives in Epps, Alabama, which is near the Alabama-Mississippi line, for those who don't know exactly where Epps is. But it, it had an opportunity then to come back into Mississippi and work with cooperatives. And so I worked in, in Bolivar County. Uh, North Bolivar Farmers Cooperative there later on in years, you know, after that. But I didn't know her per se. I knew of her work. And, of course, during Black History Month, we do see, you know, uh, her work, and we can relive that and, 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 uh, and be inspired by that. So that, that has been, um, you know, how I, you know, know her in, in that terms. But, yes, I've worked with people in that area. Uh, in and around Bolivar County with the farmers there in that cooperative. And um, that was a great experience, I can say that. So the theme for Women's History Month is providing healing, promoting hope. And Fannie Lou Hamer really provided a lot of hope. Right. Did you see where farming helped to provide healing and or hope for your family, your community? And the communities you worked in in Mississippi? Oh, yes. Uh huh. Great. Yes, because we came out of the civil rights movement, but there were issues and things of concern where lack of, a lack of this, or lack of opportunity. 
But by pooling, uh, farmers pooling their resource together in order to impact markets in other areas that they, and, and to have better farm equipment, places they could buy, um, that type of thing. And I think that, that, uh, that has, um, encouraged me and, and encouraged families and cooperatives provided that, working together provided that, um, the, the, the outcome, what is the outcome of working together? What can we benefit from that? And uh, that, that has been shown. And, and uh, I think that's why cooperatives were embraced in the South because of that. Uh, people desiring to have more advantage, have those things without having to go through hardships, even though we experience hardships, but pooling our resource together and bringing into the local area, and I'll talk about that, a cooperative that I'm a part of right now, how that all came about and why that came about, but bringing opportunities of assisting them in marketing whatever it is that they grew, whether it was livestock, uh, uh, having livestock farms, whether they had vegetable farms or or whatever. Uh, I think the opportunities came through working together. So what is that co-op that you're working with now? It's, it's called, it's called, okay, it's called South Rankin County Farmers Association, AAL, Agriculture Associated Limited. It's located in the community over from me, uh, not too far from me, but it was an, it was an opportunity when we began talking about beef cow farmers. Most of them are beef cow farmers, not all of them, some are vegetable growers. But yes, that was a, a continuation of my retirement or beginning of my retirement to continue what I knew and had been doing all my life, and that is working through cooperative efforts. So working through co-ops is people pool whatever pennies, nickels, dollars they've got and uh, whatever resources, skills, and and then work together for the benefit of the group. Uh, So it's it's self-help, but self-help through working with a group. And these are farmers that come together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And providing a a greater opportunity. Um, I have 12 cows, or I have 20 cows and cats, but I market them at the local stock market and and get whatever price they are offering, right? Mm -hmm. But if 10 farmers or 12 livestock growers, uh, producers, can come together and say, hey, we're going to Iowa and market these cattle. There's an opportunity in Iowa. But you have to have sufficient number. They have to, you know, have their vaccinations and whatever else checked out in order to be able to compete in that market. And so that gave us a greater opportunity. Rather than going to the local stock market, you just take whatever they are offering you that day. But if you're able to market to a group that's looking for quality cattle, uh, beef cattle, then you're able to compete and to bring home um, a greater income, a return on your investment. So is this a marketing co-op, a co-op where people come together and figure out how they can market their products better, working together? It it is. It is a marketing cooperative, and it's also – um, I think we talked about, you talked about this a little bit earlier in our conversation. It's an opportunity to have um, an educational opportunity, too, 
sisters and and a support of each other. Um, you know, I may know this about cattle production, and you may have this expertise, and we share that among each other so that we can produce the quality animals that we want to produce for the market and that the market is requiring of us and asking us to do that. And then bringing in experts to talk to us about this and and an uh, opportunity to bring in veterinarians that 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 um, that look at our animals and tell us what else we need to do if they're having particular problems. So, and then we can share information from one farm to the next farm to the entire group in our meeting place. We have uh, we established a meeting place. We bought twenty five point six acres of land. We built an office there and a feed store. So it was opportunity to make feed available rather than one farmer having to drive 10 to 12 miles could only drive maybe two to three three miles to get to the cooperative and have feed readily available. And we could sell the feed at a much more reasonable price because we were buying in quantities. Okay. And that sounds like a purchasing co-op. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So it's, it's a it's a it's a marketing cooperative and it's a purchasing cooperative and it's an educational opportunity cooperative. <laughs> so it's all of those in one, but yeah, <laughs> but it's not just purchasing, you know. Too. Okay. But it's but the co-op. Just one thing I say right here, Vernon, is cooperatives are a form because there's a need, right? There's a need mm-hmm. that exists among people, and they all. Um, are experiencing that particular need. So that's sometimes, and mostly that's why they are established. So there was a need to have feed available to meet for their farm animals rather than driving, as I said, 10 to 12 miles. They could drive two to three, maybe four or five miles right in their local area to buy feed, purchase feed for their animals, to purchase other farm equipment that they may need. They may need some gates or some holsters or whatever, ever, I don't grow livestock, but whatever the farmers needed, we could make that available at our co-op store. So that that's kind of how we came together, looking for opportunities and marketing opportunities, too, to be able to market. And then we did have that. We worked with a local veterinarian in the area who had a, had a, um, a market available that he knew about and told us about it. And so five or six farmers were able to market some animals. I think we had about 15 to 20 um, beef cattle that we were able to market at, at one time. And so that was a open door. Uh, and then and they, and they really, really felt good when they received that check, you know, knowing that, oh, man, I didn't, I didn't get that much money when I went to the local sale barn. Yes, mm-hmm. we know. Working mm-hmm. together works. Working together works. <laughs> I yes. want to quote you on that one. Working together works. Yes, okay. <laughs> so yes. what? Here, I'm just want to quickly talk about the four types of co-ops for anybody out there that don't know. There's four different types. Okay. Uh, if if the, it depends on who owns and controls the business. If it's only controlled by the employees, it's called a worker cooperative. Right. So any business you can think of could be a worker co-op. If it's owned and controlled by the persons that uses the products and services, it's called a consumer co-op. And that's housing co-ops, credit union, food co-ops, 
there's all kind of, if it's only controlled by the consumers. Uh, now, the two that we've talked about, a lot of farmers are using, and that's a purchasing co-op. Uh, that is, people come together to buy the products and services they need, and they normally get it at a lower price because they're buying in in bulk, and they can get a better a better product because this company in, ends up understanding and knowing who the vendors are and what the products are. So farmers farmers are using artists using using it. Uh, this purchasing co-op, and then the marketing co-op is when a group of people come together and market their products because they do exactly what you said. You can take it to markets that you could not do on your own. Cabot, Cabot Creamery is an example. Mm-hmm. The dairy farmers will send, I think they have 900 dairy farmers that send their milk to Cabot Creamery, and then they will process it to to do milk and cheese and mm-hmm. um you know, yogurt and all of these different things. And it may be a farmer in Wisconsin, but their product may end up in California or in New York where he couldn't do it himself, that individual farmer. Lando Lakes, Ocean Spray, Uh Uh an artist group in in Pittsburgh of black women called Ujama. It's both a purchasing and marketing cooperative. They're the uh, Native American tribe called Zuni uh, Indians in in, uh, New Mexico. That does the same thing as an artist co-op, mm-hmm. and it's per- mm-hmm. they purchase their, what they need and then they sell it. Yes. Yes. What we okay? So those are the four types. So, so ours is a purchasing and marketing. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah, the one that I'm just talking about, South Franklin County Farmers Association, right? And then there's the values and principles of cooperation. And what you're talking about is learning, that's the fifth principle, uh, education, training, and information. And that's one of the first reasons that I liked co-ops. I began to love co-ops because it was all about educating people. And I found people that may have a sixth-grade formal education that ran housing co-ops, but they knew, they got the knowledge that they knew how to run this business. Yes, uh, yes. Just that's in time. So that is so key, Vernon, is education. And that's a, my first thing that I talk about is what cooperatives are and the benefits of owning and being part of a cooperative and that whole education thing. And then learning what what does cooperation mean? You know, we, 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 we got to take our final we have to take our final break and we're going to come back and talk about this learning. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. And we have Miss Melville McAfee-Smith on the line with us this morning. And this program is brought to you by NCB, National Cooperative Bank. Uh, NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for American cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities like these rural areas in Mississippi that uh, Miss Smith is from. So I want to talk this time, this section, uh, more about the future. And uh, I had I had said in Jackson, it was Jackson Rising, but it's Cooper- Cooperation Jackson is the organization that I was trying to speak of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know that. Okay. Uh-huh. okay. Right. But for your grandchildren, you have two grandchildren. Your brother has three. Mm-hmm. What what do you see for the future, in particular, as it relates to co-ops and health and healing, uh, hope? 
What do you see for your grandchildren? What do you well, want for them? Just, that's a good question, too, because I've been thinking about that. And my niece, which is uh, Trina McAfee Geiger, uh, we've been talking about it. And her two sons, one is graduating from, um, hmm, um, they live in North Carolina, so I'm not sure what school he goes to, but he's graduating uh, this June from college, a four-year college. And, okay. and he's wanting to be a physician. And then the second son is wanting to be a veterinarian. <laughs> okay. So here we go. So we've been talking about that, and we're talking about, and I was talking with my niece about it, uh, about him coming down to work with us on the farm. Uh, we don't have cattle now on the farm. We've been, as I talked about, we're going into fruits, but we have the acreage, which my brother uh, owned and which my niece owns now, to either put cattle over there and on the side that I'm on is going to be the fruit so that he could come down and get some experience on that. And we're, mm-hmm. we're getting ready to move in that direction. So when we talk about the, the general, the next generation, this is an opportunity to continue what my, as far as I know, my grandfather began in coming through my brother and I and on down to his, his uh, grandson. So I'm looking forward to that, and and of course, you know, my my uh, two grandchildren are are small, four and two years old. But one loves when he was out here. We have a picture of him being on the tractor, right? Okay. So he loves that. <laughs> he loves he loves getting on the tractor and uh, doing things like that. And so, uh, so I'm looking forward to that uh, establishing so they can continue. Um, and be a part of that, uh, just as as my brother and I was a part of uh, uh, my father and my grandfather's uh, vision. What do you see um, farmers can do, what you can do, particularly your fruits and vegetables, uh, to help come out of COVID, to help with this health? What what can you all do and what can this co-op that you're in do? Yes, to 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 uh, make available. Now, I didn't mention that there are those that are in the cooperative, even though they have cattle, they also have, uh, I, I know you know about this, but they, uh, they use the high tunnel. Uh, you, you know what I'm talking about? I do. I don't know if my uh, I don't know if the listeners know what a high tunnel is because we're in Washington D.C. A lot of them don't know anything okay. about farming. Okay, it's similar to a greenhouse, but it's much larger. It has, uh, and and if you were to, if you lived in in a rural area, or not just a rural area, but it's in a rural area, a USDA offers support for farmers who want to use the high tunnel, meaning that they can grow year round. Mm-hmm. In this, and it's much larger than in uh, some greenhouses, not all of them. But you can have three or four or five or six of those, which means that you can grow quite a bit of crops uh, in that. And so we we introduced that in our cooperative, South Rankin County Farmers Association, and we encouraged those who were uh, wanting to do that because sometimes you're doing livestock, but you can also do vegetables too or herbs or whatever you're into uh, along with that, and you could do it year-round. And so these high tunnels offers that opportunity to grow year-round. And then, of course, in the summer months, you roll the plastic up and, uh, you know, let the sun, um, let the wind and the, and the other elements come in. 
uh, two. So that's that's been um, something that um, the members of the cooperative have utilized, and I utilize that too. And I'm, I use that to to grow herbs and 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 various types of herbs and and uh, market those too for people. And and we use the herbs for medicinal purpose. We uh, that's what I do specifically talking with people how various herbs can be used in order to uh, as medicinal uh, support for your body and your mind and your spirit <laughs> too. All right. So it's it's been uh, been a. Uh, uh, it's been an opportunity to expand and to explore and to have support through the cooperative because there I know two or three other women in our cooperative are using this. They they grow, you know, all types of vegetables, greens, okra, peas, whatever, whatever, and then they grow herbs and then they have some fruit trees out there that they're growing. So we work together. That's how I come into the cooperative other than the educational opportunity to share what I know about co-ops and how they work, but also do training for new members that come into the cooperative uh, who desires to be part of our cooperative. That's a requirement that they um, go to three sessions uh, on learning what co-ops are, what we do in this cooperative, and how we support each other. So the women in the cooperative, some of them have livestock, but they also have the they utilize the high tunnels and to to uh, grow herbs and and grow other vegetables and and market that to uh, sometime at the farmers market in Jackson we talked about the distance there and mm-hmm. uh, take those on us on uh, it's open uh, six days a week and um, mm-hmm. uh, so we we work through that too but I I love the high tunnel concept uh, I don't grow a, a Tremendous amount of uh, uh, fruits and vegetables, but we, my son and I, will be growing a larger acreage of the muscadines and the blueberries. But uh, we do uh, grow something uh, in the high tunnels, and of course, in the temperatures are good, not so bad here in Mississippi that we have we can still grow outside. So I want to tell you about a book, though, for your grandsons. <laughs> It's a gentleman by the name of Maurice Smith who grew on a farm, I think he was North Carolina. So he he wrote a book called Sowing Seeds. Sowing Seeds. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Life Lessons from My Father. Life Lessons from My Father. And what made me think about it was it's a picture of a tractor. So your grandson that likes to sit on a tractor, there's a picture of a tractor and Life Lessons from My Father. It's a great little book with with nice, oh, yeah. nice lessons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's great. But uh, yeah, that is, <laughs> anything I can do uh, to encourage them, you know, uh, I think that's that's my role now is to help shape them and and kind of look within them and see what they're interested in. But but offer them an opportunity to see what then they call me Granny. See what Granny has been doing, <laughs> and, okay. uh, and and catch hold to to that. And, I, and I'm, I'm just so thankful for the opportunity to be able to sow into their lives. You kind of know what I'm saying? Sow into mm-hmm. their lives that they will be all that they can be. And that's what, what I'm doing in these latter years, other than growing in my high tunnel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Last week, uh, we had Anita, Rob- Anita Robinson and Thomas Robinson on. They're out of Fredericksburg, Virginia. 
and they talked about high tunnels. I was trying to remember where I heard that at. And and everybody out there, you can go on our webpage, www.everything.coop.coop, and get past uh, shows. You can get Anita and and uh, Rob. You can you can get Maurice Smith. He was on the show. And in about a week from now, you'll be able to get this show uh, on that webpage and, and listen back through it. So what I'd like yeah. for you to do, go ahead. I just wanted to encourage people, if they are interested in doing some things on their farm and if they have not all uh, also and if they are new to maybe farming or, or gardening or whatever but go up to usda uh nrcs the natural resource conservation service as part of usda in your local county and and just talk with them about programs that's available to assist you in getting uh, uh you know, maybe a high tunnel or support or money for fencing if you have animals or gardening or things like that. They have several, several programs that a lot of people do not um, take advantage of, and that's what we did in the South Rankin County Farmers Court. We shared that information. We had speakers to come down and talk with us about what's available, what you may qualify for, and um, a lot of them participated in that. Okay, let me just, you have about 30 seconds. What message would you like to leave people with? Be proactive okay. in, in whatever you do, but in farming and in agriculture production, be proactive and learn what's available to you uh, that you may not be utilizing, but these programs are USDA programs, and they are for farmers, small limited resource farmers. Thank you, Granny. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I figured your age, we're about the same age, but... Thank you very much, everybody out there. Please live cooperatively, and we'll see you next Thursday. Your news talk station, 